And so we're very thankful that God has positioned us once again to hear his wonderful words of life. And I'm glad to have some of my young brothers and sisters to assist me with this message um, that you will hear in just a little bit as they go through some of the verses. But I'm very grateful that we're going over this subject. This is our last presentation. It's a six part series. It's the last presentation on the plan of salvation. And so uh, we have been going through that. For those of you just visiting, you can go to our Open Door uh, YouTube page and you can go ahead and see this entire subject of the plan of salvation as we, as we have walked through it step by step. And so we're going to be going through this last phase in our study at this time. And so I'm going to kneel for a word of prayer. And I'd like to invite you, if you're able to, to kneel with me. And then let's prepare our hearts to receive the word. Our Father in heaven, once again, Lord, we are very grateful for this opportunity to be together and to study together to show ourselves approved unto you that we can be both workmen and workwomen that need not be ashamed, for we are rightly dividing your words of truth. Lord, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit and once again speak to our hearts and open our eyes and help us behold wondrous things out of your word. Bless us, I pray, that as we go through this study, may we see the simplicity of understanding in the plan of salvation your part and our part. This is our prayer that we do ask in Jesus' name. Let everyone say, Amen. 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 Oh, no problem. Thank you. So, uh, many years ago, I've been privileged to be part of this movement, the Seventh Day Adventist Church. I've been, I've been privileged to be part of this movement for 30 years. And in these 30 years, the Lord has allowed me to have many rich experiences. One of which was I came in contact, as I mentioned in our last uh, session when we were together, this book, What Shall I Do to Inherit Eternal Life by Margaret Davis. Um, it was a book that at that time when I read it, I thought it was very good, but it didn't, it didn't draw me in all honesty. When I first read it, I've realized with a lot of books, it's not necessarily that they're bad, but sometimes it's the timing. It's, it's where our minds are. And depending on where our mind is, like, you know, the book Steps to Christ. We call Steps to Christ the book we love to give out but don't read. <laughs> you know, it's like we give it out like crazy. But sometimes you ask people, have you gone through it cover to cover? And a lot of people say, actually, I've never done that before. And it's like, OK, well, sometimes you read these books and literally you, you, you don't get anything out of it because of where our minds are. But then depending on some life experiences, you come back to the book and now it's filled with all this deep, deep meaning. So it is that I came back to this book, What Shall I Do to Inherit Eternal Life? And evidently, it was at a time that I truly, you can go ahead and slide that bottle water over and make room for everybody. You know, at that time, you know, now I can look back and I can truly say that I've been richly blessed as I have gone through this book. If you want to get a copy of it, that's the... Uh, website that you can go to and you can get a copy of it. Now, I mentioned last time I was giving this message, I said, Margaret Davis, you know, I don't know if she's dead or alive. Well, I am very glad to report to you that she is very much alive. And uh, I have been in touch with her and she and I have, you know, kind of been starting a little bit of a dialogue and I'm hoping that it can go someplace really far because the Lord has gifted her. She is 95 years young and uh, still thriving and, and standing for the Lord Jesus. And uh, I'm sure her crown is going to be exceedingly and abundantly heavy 
when Christ places it upon her head, for many a hearts have been turned to the Lord. And so it is that when we go through our study on this phase of the plan of salvation, I'm very grateful that a lot of what I will be sharing is coming from the principles that I have received and been blessed by reading this book. Again, one of the great challenges in the plan of salvation is understanding God's part and understanding our part. Better termed righteousness by faith. A lot of times when we don't understand the subject of righteousness by faith, we can find ourselves in this little war, this tug of war, where at one point it's like, are we relying on God to do everything? And, and what do I do versus what he does? And sometimes we can get very confused and we find ourselves doing righteousness by works when really it's supposed to be righteousness by faith. And so a lot of times we don't know because righteousness by faith is not God does everything and you do nothing. Righteousness by faith is God does a little bit and we try to do everything on our own and then we call him when we need him. Righteousness by faith is built on one word and that word is called cooperation. And that cooperation is based on understanding God's part and then understanding our part. And so it is that in our last study, you'll remember that we talked about it. We opened on this point right here, understanding God's part and then understanding our part. Now, I'm not going to go over this in depth. So, again, you can either review the video if you want to take your phones out, take a shot and you can go over the verses at a later time. That's fine. But the key is, is that in the plan of salvation, the first step is that he draws us. Nobody comes to God because we are that smart and we just figured it all out. No one comes to God because there's this enlightenment that hears that we suddenly get hit with. And now we just go to him. If any human being comes to God, it is always repeat, always a response to him already drawing us. Then what we're supposed to do is not resist the drawing. Don't resist the drawing. Don't resist it. We comply. We go ahead and say, all right, I see that the Lord is drawing me. I will not fight it. After that, what does God do in that drawing? He convicts us. He convicts us of sin. He begins to help us see our need. He begins to help because, listen, I'm telling you right now, nobody accepts a savior until they understand what they need to be saved from. If a person doesn't understand what they need to be saved from, they don't seek out a savior. And that's the reason, family, why we spent so much time going over what is sin, what is the nature of sin, and all of these different things. We had to go over that because if we're not careful, we will find ourselves not even understanding what Christ came to save us from. And so we had to go through that. But nevertheless, we see he convicts us of sin. What do we do when we're convicted of sin? That hard part. We acknowledge our guilt. Acknowledging guilt is not easy, is it? Let's keep it real. Sometimes it's very difficult to say I am wrong without goat language. You know the language of a goat. Goats, what do they do? They butt, right? That's what they do. They butt. Sometimes we say I was wrong, but you know it. That's goat. You're going goat, not goat. It's supposed to be sheep. Sheep go bad. Sheep just bow and, and humble themselves. We got to learn how to speak like sheep, but don't speak like a goat and start butting every time we start getting convicted of the wrongs that we have done. And so we had to learn, acknowledge your guilt and your need for Christ. Then he will give us repentance. Repentance is a gift that comes from God. 
And when he gives us repentance, we are to confess, forsake all of our sins and give God permission to take our heart. You remember that we looked at this beautiful quote from Christ Object Lessons, page 159, and it said it ever so wonderfully. It said, no outward observances can take the place of simple faith and entire renunciation of self. The problem is no man can empty himself of self. We can only consent for Christ to accomplish the work. So even though we often say, Lord, if you and I give God our hearts, the problem with it is you ever had a yo-yo? You know how a yo-yo works, right? You throw it down and zip, it comes right back in. It's the same thing. Often when we give God our hearts, we pull back and we begin to live and do our own thing. And therefore, God says, listen, the truth is you can't give me your heart. But what you can do is you can give me permission to take it. And when God takes the heart, oh, man, he could do wonderful things. That's why John says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That's what Christ does is he takes it away. It's a miracle. I remember when I used to always curse and swear all the time and I would do it for no reason. I didn't have to have a reason. I didn't have to be upset. I could be having a great day. It was just a part of my language. And I remember that I couldn't stop. It was like, you know, I read in the Bible, like, yeah, you shouldn't be talking like that. But I was just kind of like, I don't know how to stop this. And so one day I did something that was just amazing. I literally came to God and said, Lord, listen, I understand that using profane language is wrong. The problem is I love talking this way. So I realize if I'm going to stop doing this, I need you to take it away from me. And that's literally the prayer that I prayed. Lord, I need you to take it away from me. Because if you leave it up to me, I'm going to keep doing it. So I give you permission, take it from me, because for me, I have a passion for this thing. It was to my own surprise that when I was hanging out at the barbershop, obviously a long time ago, <laughs> you know, it's like when I was hanging out at the barbershop, all of my buddies, and if anybody knows anything about a barbershop, especially a barbershop in a black neighborhood, you know, it, it is the land of cussing and swearing. And I remember being there and, and, you know, every time my friends were talking to me, it was kind of crazy. It was like they kept talking to me and I was just like, yeah, you know, and I was just answering the questions. And then one of my buddies just stops the whole thing and says, all right, what's wrong with him? Pointing at me, what's wrong with him? And I'm looking at him like, what? You know, I'm thinking something's on my face or whatever. And he's like, I said, what? And he's, again, what's wrong with him? And everybody said, what are you talking about? And they said, you haven't cursed, not even once, for the past hour. And what was weird is that they noticed that. And what was doubly weird was I didn't. You know, the Bible says the wind blows wherever it wants. You can't tell when it comes or when it goes, but you know it was there. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit of God. You, one thing you know for sure is you can't say I was born again at 5 o'clock on such and such a date. More than likely, we're not going to give that kind of evidence. But you know when you've been born again. You know when God has done something to you where he's taken something away from you that normally was there. But all of a sudden, it's not there anymore. This is the context of this quote when it's telling us we can only consent for Christ to accomplish the work. Then the language will be, Lord, take my heart for I cannot give it. It is your property and keep it pure for I cannot keep it for you and save me in spite of myself, my weak, 
unchristlike self and mold me and fashion me and raise me to this atmosphere, this, in this holy atmosphere where the rich current of your love now flows through my soul. I'm telling you right now, family, the changes that God wants to make in yours and my life, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. When he can get a violent man to stop being violent, when he can get a vile man to stop being vile, we often talk about we want to see miracles. We want to see Red Sea split. I'm telling you right now, when a vile man suddenly becomes pure, when a violent man suddenly becomes peaceful, that is a miracle. And it's a work that only God can do. And so this is what is to be our prayers. Lord, take my heart because I can't give it. So then what next as it relates to God's part? Here's what's next. After we acknowledge our guilt, forsake our sins and acknowledge our need for him. Here's what's next. He will forgive, cleanse, regenerate and free you to live a sanctified life. We're not going to have our readers. So can I have our first reader do Jeremiah 33 and verse we are now looking at the next step that is God's part. Jeremiah 33 and verse 8. He will forgive, cleanse, regenerate, and free you to live a sanctified life. Which one of you young folks had Jeremiah 33, 8? Did anybody have that? All right, take it, sis. <laughs> We're going to let my sister do it. Um, oh, you have it? Okay, go ahead. Just use the microphone. Do you have the microphone? Oh, okay. I thought they brought that up to you all. I'm so sorry. So, yeah, James, if you can go ahead and just get them a microphone, please. And for, while we're waiting, let's turn to Jeremiah 33 and let's go ahead and let's look at verse eight and see how God is going to help us see this next step. That is his part. All right. Jeremiah, we're looking at chapter 33 and now we're considering verse eight. You can go ahead and read. And I will cleanse them from all their iniquity, whereby they have sinned against me. And I will pardon all their iniquities, whereby they have sinned and whereby they have transgressed against me. Amen. So notice that the word cleanse and pardon are being paralleled. So God makes it very clear that I will pardon you from all your iniquities. I will cleanse you. This is why Christians should not walk around governed by guilt. I understand that the world does that. Christians shouldn't. Because if we believe the gospel, if we believe in God, if we believe his word, the Bible makes it very clear that God will cleanse us and pardon us for literally all of our iniquity. This is why at a certain point you don't hang your head low. Now, I did not say that you should start hanging your head high. What I would recommend is that you keep your head steady. Amen. Amen. All right. We're not hanging our head high because now we might start looking down on folks. You get what I'm saying? So God is not calling us to hang our heads high, but he's calling us to hang our heads steady. Don't hang your head low. Don't walk around beat up and beat down by the sins that you did in your past. It is amazing how many people are literally controlled by the sins of their past. We messed up. We did wrong. We erred. We made mistakes. And like David, sometimes you see reminders of your sins. Can you imagine King David every time he saw Bathsheba? Every time he saw Bathsheba, he had to remember how he got her. That's what he meant when he said in Psalm 51 and he was saying that prayer of repentance unto God. And he says, my sins are ever before me. 
Every time he was watching Bathsheba, it reminded him how he got her, and it was not a good story. But nevertheless, God says, look, you and I might have reminders. Maybe you got a wound on your body. Maybe you have a child that has been born. Maybe you had something going on that 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 thing that's on your body or outside of your body or around you is a result of a past sinful act. We often have to teach our young ladies that, listen, the baby is not sin. The way that the child came into this world might have been sin, but the child is not sin. And so even when you see a child in this world that you can look back and say, yep, this child came into this world as a result of fornication or whatever it may be. We must learn to isolate the sin, see the sin for what it is. Go before a holy and righteous God, confess our sin. And as long as you are sincere, the Bible promises he will forgive you and he will cleanse you, not from some, not from most, but from all unrighteousness. Now, check this out. If God cleanses you from all unrighteousness, then what are you? Righteous. If he removes all unrighteousness, go to the book of Romans chapter three. Let me show you something. If he removes all the unrighteousness, well, then what does he give you? Look at Romans three. See, very clear in Romans, the third chapter. In Romans chapter three, looking at verse twenty five. The Bible is very clear on this point. If God cleanses us from all unrighteousness, then what does he do? You see, watch what the Bible says very clearly in Romans chapter three. And now we're considering verse 25. The Bible says in Romans three and verse 25, whom God had set forth to be a propitiation or mercy seat, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his what? To declare his righteousness for the what? Remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. So when God remits or removes our sins, what is he also declaring on us at that moment? His righteousness. So when God removes our sins, he literally inputs his righteousness upon us. And then day by day, as we walk with him, he imparts that righteousness day by day as we cooperate with him in our wonderful walk with Jesus. And so it is that God makes it very clear. I will forgive you. I will cleanse you and I will regenerate you and free you so that now you can live a new life. But now let's go ahead and look at Ezekiel 36. Let's talk about it. Ezekiel 36 now verses 26 and 27. Which one of my family got that one? Ezekiel 36. And now we're considering verses 26 and 27. Now let's watch what the Bible says. Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you, and I will put my spirit within you, and because you cause you to walk in my statues and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. Amen. So notice God not only cleanses us from all unrighteousness, but he also gives us a new heart. And I love what it said in verse 27. He said, and I will cause you to walk in my statues. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to move you. I'm going to motivate you to walk according to everything that I've called you to do. 
What is our part knowing that God does this? Our part is believe and accept that he has done and will do this for you. That's your part. My part is to believe it. My part is to accept it. It doesn't have to make sense. And even better, you don't have to feel it. Christianity is very different from how the world goes today. The world says, if you feel it, it's facts. That's what the world is doing right now. The world says, you feel this way? It's, it's truth. And we'll, cre we'll create laws, we'll change everything about our nation just to accommodate how you feel. That is a destructive way of thinking. That is a destructive way of dealing with people, is to say, because you feel it, it is truth. And we will go ahead and accommodate it in every way. That is not love. God wants us to understand that, listen, even when you don't feel it, it's still true. Jesus was on a cross and he said, my God, my God, why have you? Did the father forsaken? No, he did not. But did Jesus really feel forsaken? Is it possible that you felt forsaken and God was right next to you? Do you understand that? I never read a verse that says we walk by feeling and not by faith. I read the verse that says otherwise. We walk by faith and not by sight, not by senses, not by what we feel. Family, listen, you and I have the opportunity to be made free. We have an opportunity to become free because the worst prison is the prison of your mind. It was Nelson Mandela that when he came out of the prison cell that many said they removed us out of the smaller prison to still release us into the larger prison. There's still a slavery that exists even when shackles are physically removed from hands and feet. And the prison that a lot of us are still living in is in our state of mind. And brothers and sisters, I'm telling you the truth. I marvel at how many of us as God's children, we are still trying to discover true happiness. We keep thinking happiness comes from being with a woman. And that's why everybody, you know, all the single brothers hungry and oh, oh it's not, the word is not hungry. I heard it's thirsty. Thirsty to always try to find a girlfriend. And it's like, if I don't have a girlfriend, I'm not happy. The girls, I'm assuming they're thirsty too. The girls, again, if they don't have a man, they're not happy. And we keep thinking that people make us happy. And then you get with somebody and you end up unhappy. God is trying to get a point across to us. Happy are they whose God is the Lord. Amen. Psalm 144, verse 16. Happy are they whose God is the Lord. Do you think that God could be so present in an individual's life that you can be happy, whether single or married? That you can be happy? And the answer is yes, brothers and sisters. That's where we need to be. By the way, that's the safest place to enter into a relationship. If you have not found your happiness in God as a single person, it's dangerous for you to get with somebody. Because you're going to put too much weight on them and you're going to put it on them to make you happy. And then if they don't make you happy, whatever darkness is inside of you is going to start coming out. And that's how girlfriends all of a sudden discover boyfriends who are violent. Whatever that darkness is within that God never was able to take away, then that stuff starts coming out in a relationship. And hence, we start seeing abuse and all sorts of terrible realities. God wants us to understand. You want to find happiness and joy and freedom in believing, trusting and accepting his word that when he says, I have cleansed you, that you are clean. And now you only have one job. 
Stay clean. When God cleanses a man and when God cleanses a woman from all of their sins, now we are clean. Now we have received his righteousness. Now what God says is walk in the light as Christ is in the light. Abide in me and I in you. In other words, now you're clean. Stay clean. So God's part is he does the cleaning. He does the regenerating. He does the washing and the renewing. You and I, our part is to believe and accept that he has done past and will do present this for you and for me. Because even Jesus said, according to your faith, be it unto you. Continuing, what does God do next? Now, God accomplishes something that he wanted to do a long time ago. You see, it was in the beginning of time that God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Well, the Bible makes it very clear in 1 John 4 and verse 8, God is love. So what God was saying is, is when he made man in his image and likeness, he was making you and I in the image of his love. And we were supposed to be reflectors of the love of God. And that's why God said it's not good for a man to be alone. Because love is useless if it does not have an object to lavish itself upon. The best way to see love is when you have another object that you can pour it on, that you can express it to. So it's nothing wrong with getting married because somebody tried to say one time, Brother Lemon's trying to tell us to stay single all our lives. No, I'm not. What I'm saying is, is stop trying to jump into relationships too prematurely and then you end up in a relationship to end up broken in your relationship and now both of y'all are hurt. I see it happen all the time. Premature, rushed relationships. What ends up happening? Both parties end up breaking up. And now they're more hurt than when they first started in their relationship. God says, man, if you only could have had a little more patience, if you only could have waited a little more, prayed a little more, studied a little more, followed the counsel a little bit more. You could have entered into the relationship in a much more healthier way and there wouldn't be all this hurt that's lingering right now. So, no, I'm definitely all about marriage because guess what? I'm married. So I'm not here to be a you know, double-minded or a hypocrite. I dare not say don't be married. Of course be married. But the thing is, make sure you're ready. That's God's counsel. But the Lord wants us to understand that when we do enter into relationships, we should be in such a healthy state of mind, man, that we're ready to go ahead and be the best that we can be to the one who now has been our partner. God makes it clear. Listen, when I call you, I will empower you. And I will live in you so that now the new life that I'm calling you to live, you can actually live it. Let's see what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 16. If we could have our next reader, go ahead and read it for us. Look at what the text says. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Amen. So notice what God says. I will dwell in them, not among I will dwell in them and will be in them. And God says, and then I will empower them. This is real. This is the testimony of what I was talking about earlier. I remember when I was first in, my, uh, in, a, in a relationship with a young lady. And uh, I admit, I was in the world, full blast. I was 100% bona fide worldling. And so she was a Christian girl. 
and I talked her out of Christianity. I repent of it to date. I mean, there was a time I was looking for her so I could actually apologize to her. But nevertheless, I couldn't find her. Um, but nevertheless, you know, I, I talked her out of it and we entered into a lifestyle of fornication. And I remember when I came into this church and when I came into this church 30, you know, 30 years ago, I remember that I got convicted. Fornication's wrong. Shouldn't be doing this. So I remember one time she wanted to do what we normally do. And I remember that uh, it was with great shame. I was hanging my head down low because, you know, I felt really bad because I know what I did. I talked her out of her walk with God. And she was saying, let's go, Dwayne. And I'm thinking to myself, how do I tell her? So I eventually got up the courage and I said, uh, listen, you, you know, I'm a I'm a Christian now. And I said, um, we we can't do this anymore. And I remember that look she gave me. It was kind of like that look like I know you are not trying to tell me this because she's remembering when I talked her out of it. And she was like, I don't even want to hear it. Let's go. And so I remember surrendering. And I remember that even if I practiced fornication, I didn't have the same mindset. It was like conviction, just this conviction, this brand new conviction. And I was like, man, because the Bible is very clear. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse three, it says, this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you might flee from fornication. So, I mean, the, the word of God is very clear on the matter. No premarital sex, period. It's, 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 it's the will of God that his people do not indulge in premarital sexual relations. It's very clear. So now I'm trying to live this truth, but it was hard. And I remember, even if I did it, I had these convictions. But I remember one day, I was able to tell her, if we can't stop doing this, it's over. You're talking about somebody that I really loved, really cared about. But it was like, if we can't stop doing this, it's over. We're not, we're not going to be together anymore. And she made it very clear, I'm not stopping anything. Then I was like, then we're stopping. So in my mind... I'm like, hold up, I just ended a relationship on the issue of fornication, which at a certain time in our lives we both loved and we both enjoyed. But because I was developing this love for God, suddenly I was able to say no to things that in any other case I would have said yes. Family, that's a sign of God living in you and empowering you. That the things that once upon a time you would yield to and give into and do it again and again and again. It may not be fornication, whatever it is, whatever the thing is that you and I know clear as day, thus saith the Lord. This is what the word of God says. And I should not be doing it. You know, we're not dealing with what you don't know. We're dealing with what you know. And here goes God making it very clear. God says. I will empower you. I will supply you with the ability to say no even to the things that you love and to say yes to the things that are right, though right now you hate it. God actually says that's the again. It's a miracle, beloved. I'm calling it for what it is. It is a miracle. There's a little statement in the book Education, page 192, and it says, as the student of the Bible beholds the Redeemer, 
there is awakened in the soul the mysterious power of faith, adoration, and love. Upon the vision of Christ, the gaze is fixed, and the beholder becomes like that which he adores. God can do that. Literally, God can get you and I to a place that the life we're walking away from, he doesn't always, we don't always stay in this place where we walk away. Have you ever walked away from something and you walk away like this, like, <laughs> you know, you, you, you're still trying to hold on to it. You know what I'm talking about? God is calling us away from a certain lifestyle, and we, but we're looking back, we're crying, <laughs> you know, we're trying to hold on to it. There comes a time where God actually enables you and I that we can actually look back at the old life and say, thank God for deliverance and keep it moving. God can get you and I to that kind of place. So make no mistake about it. Does Christianity have a place where there's a little war going on? You know what I'm saying? We're going to look back a little bit. You might weep a little bit. But God says, hey, hey, keep moving. Keep going. Yes. Christianity has a component in it that for a period of time, we are definitely going to have that warfare going on. And the old habits will be pulling and saying, come on, you sure you want to leave me? And it's going to pull at you. And it's going to be a war. But if we continue with the resistance, God gets you to a place that you can look back and you'll be able to say, thank God for deliverance. And you can keep moving. As the student of the Bible beholds the Redeemer, there is awakened in the soul. Again, it's called a mysterious power. It says the mysterious power of faith, adoration and love. Upon the vision of Christ, the gaze is fixed and the beholder becomes like that which he or she adores. So God says, I will live in you and I will empower you. It is beautiful. And I know I'm not the only one. There's some of us in this room. You know what you used to do. Some of us, we know some of the stuff we used to indulge in and God has changed it all around. And we genuinely from the heart are not looking back. We have no desire. That is God living in you. That's a sign of God empowering you. And check it out. What God has done for one sin, he could do for 100. This is why it is the most ludicrous thing to believe that God cannot deliver us from all sin. It is such a cheap gospel. It's like, so God has enough power to, de to deliver us from one thing, but he doesn't have enough power to deliver us from all things? What kind of gospel is that? What sin is so powerful that God is too weak to deliver us from it? Help me see that, because I've never read that in my life. The Bible is clear. If God has enough power to cleanse us from all sin from the past, then you better believe God has enough power to keep us from falling back into all sins of the present. That's the real gospel, family. And I understand there's people that hate it, sadly, even in my own movement. But it's the truth nevertheless. And may preachers never say anything else but the truth. So help us God. God makes it clear. I will live in you. And I will empower you. Enough with this thinking of the sin is so powerful. The sin is so attractive. The thing that I do that's wrong is so whatever. Well, thank God for his grace that just covers us. Brothers and sisters, listen. If you fall, we'll talk about it. But God wants to make it clear. The real gospel is a delivering gospel. It's a delivering gospel. It's a gospel where God is able to do as often the impossible, that God can perform the greatest miracle. That's the real gospel. And as far as I'm concerned, that's what actually makes Jesus attractive. I'm not very attracted to somebody who's 
just kind of there like, well, I could I could save you from one thing, but not everything. So, you know, you, you're still going to be a slave to sin, but we'll just see if we can minimize it from 100 to maybe 20. That's not even attractive. But this is what God says. I will live in you and empower you. Well, what is our part? Understanding this fact, our part live by his power, bear much fruit through the surrendering of the will. Let's talk about it. Can we have our reader? John 15, four and five. John 15, four and five. Live by his power, bear much fruit through surrendering the will. John 15, verses four and five. Let's go ahead and let's have our reader go ahead and take us there, please. John 15, four and five. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the branch. Cannot bear, wait, sorry. Mm-hmm. Abide in me as, oh my goodness. Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can I, ye except ye abide in me. Um, five, two? In verse five, I'm, yep. I'm the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye cannot do nothing. Amen. Now, the nothing that Jesus is talking about is bearing fruit. Okay, what is that fruit? Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness and temperance. Against such there is no law. Jesus says, without me, you cannot perform. You cannot express. You cannot show forth these fruits, especially long term without him can't be done and this is why God is saying abide in me if you abide in me if you stay connected to me God says then there's nothing that's impossible for you you can bear this fruit all the time even in trying times but God says but remember you got to abide in me dwell with me keep your mind stayed upon me this is why believe it or not I am thankful to be part of a church that gives counsel on music that gives counsel on reading material that gives counsel on what kind of programs we should watch. These are things that can get in the way of us abiding in Christ. If I begin to walk with Jesus and I begin to develop a love for purity, how can I maintain that if I'm watching movies that are showing impurity? If I'm reading books that promotes impurity? If I'm listening to songs that encourage impurity? How can it possibly, how can the mind be stayed upon him, by which we get perfect peace. Isaiah 26, 3. How can our minds be stayed upon him if we allow our minds to dwell on those things opposed to him, opposed to his principles? I know people all the time that tell me, Brother Lemon, my fire's going out. My fire's going out. First question, what's your devotional life looking like? 99.999% of the time, a person whose fire is going out and they're not on fire for the Lord anymore and they feel like they're about to walk away from God or their religion has become stale and a form, their devotional life is horrible. It's mechanical, it's sporadic, and it's not meaningful. It's just a reading that you do to kind of check the mark and say, I did a devotion, but there's no heart connection between one and God. So the first thing I often looked at is, their devotional life. Tell me how your devotional life is looking. Second, what do you do for your entertainment? I go right for the jugular. What are you doing for your entertainment? What are you watching? What are you reading? What are you listening to on a regular basis? 
How much time do you spend in self-sacrificial service to others? It's not hard, beloved. You, if, when people's fire starts going out, it's not hard to identify some of the key points. Their devotional life is not good. They're often indulging in things that are taking their minds away from God. And they're living a life of selfishness rather than selflessness. This is an easy way to let your fire go out. Your candlestick can end up being removed very easily. And so obviously the antithesis is true. Start having meaningful communion with God every morning. Every morning and every evening. Start having meaningful communion with God. Treat it like a relationship. Like get to know him in that morning time with him. One on one. Then whatever it is that's promoting that which is opposite of God's words, stop indulging in it. Don't keep watching and listening and partaking of all the things that clearly are going against what God says. This is a spiritual warfare. And finally, be intentional about spending some time in self-sacrificial service for others, blessing others and making Christ known to people who do not know him. Guaranteed. These things are going to help that fire that's going out start getting more oxygen so that fire can start burning and blazing again. God makes it very clear. He says, look, John 15, 4 and 5, you got to stay connected. It's not just be connected. It's stay connected. Abide. Stay connected. This is God's counsel. Now, what does it say in Philippians 4 and verse 13? What's the promise of God? Next reader, please. Philippians 4 and verse 13. What does our next text say? Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Amen. So Jesus promises. Now, how many of us struggle believing this? There you go. That, that, that's that challenge, right? What should we do when we struggle believing something? Here's a recommendation. You let me know what you think. Jesus comes to this brother, right? This guy is sitting at a pool. The pool is called the Pool of Bethesda. He's been sitting there, and the brother's been sick for 38 years. Very long time. So he bought into this habit of believing that whenever the water starts to trickle, an angel is present, ready to heal. But the brother's legs don't work. So every time, for many years, how many years, we don't know. But for many years, every time they see that water trickle, he starts trying to make his way. But obviously, people who have mobility in their legs get in the water before him. So this brother is thoroughly disappointed. So finally, Christ comes to him, right? I'm answering the question. What do you do when you struggle believing that Christ can give you the strength to do what he's telling you to do? I'm answering the question. So one day, the brother's there again, hopeless, feeling bad about himself and everything else around him. And all of a sudden, this messenger comes to him and this messenger comes to him and says, listen, do you want to get well? He begins to rehearse his story. Well, every time I try to go into the pool, somebody jumps in before me, etc. Christ totally bypasses his excuses. And he says, get up. Take up your mat and start walking. If he would have said. Once I feel energy in my legs. I will do exactly what you told me to do. If he would have said that, you would not have the story of John chapter 5, verses 1 to 14. You wouldn't even have that story. You'd have to cut it all out. But what did he do? Here's what he did. Watch it. I'm answering the question. What do you do when Jesus promises, I'll give you all the strength to do everything that I tell you to do? And yet you're struggling to believe that, right? Here's what you do. You do exactly what that man did at the Pool of Bethesda. 
When he heard Christ, he felt nothing. He did not feel a single thing. All he heard was the word of God. And you know what he did? He, here's the answer, he acted on the word of God, though he felt nothing. And a miracle took place. Once again, Jesus says, you can do every single thing I told you to do because I will give you strength to do it. We say, Lord, I'm struggling to believe it. Christ says, I understand. Act on my word. Watch the miracle. So even when you don't feel it, act on what he told you to do. You'll be amazed at the miracle God will do in your life. Act on it. If God says, walk away from the argument, everything in you says, nah, man, that person insulted me. I want to go back at him. God says, I understand how you feel, but act on my word. Walk away. You walk away. And after walking away, and then Christ says, now pray. Sing a song. I don't feel like singing. Sing. Literally, this is, this is Christianity. This is how Christianity works. Sometimes you're going to have to sing. I remember one time when Jared, he was so upset. And I was just like, son, you're not going to get any better if you, if you maintain this attitude. No, daddy, da, da, da. And he was like maybe 12 years old. I said, all right, Jared, it's time to sing. I don't want to sing. And I'm talking about my, my pianist son. He was like, I don't want to sing. I was like, no, nah, son, come on, we got to sing. What song you want to sing? I was like, I know what song you want to sing. I said, you want to sing your favorite, don't you? And I was like, number 600. And he was just like, dad. I was like, come on. And then he was like, sweet promises given to all who believe. Behold, I come quickly, mine own to receive. Hold fast till I come, the danger is great. Sleep not as do others. Be watchful and wait. Hold fast till I come. And next thing you know, that boy just started singing. He literally cheered himself up because he kept singing. I just said, just keep singing, son. Just keep singing. And then I would join with him like angels join with us. Real gospel. Sweet gospel. And I began to join with him in singing. And next thing you know, he starts singing. And when he sang, he felt so much better. And I remember I said, Jared, how do you feel now? He says, I feel great, Dad. I said, you ready to go for our walk? He's like, yeah, let's go for our walk. I said, hey, what about those problems? He's like, I don't know. I'm not thinking about it anymore. I said, that's right. That's how God works. And so what God is trying to say to you and say to me is even in our moments where we're very upset, even in our moments where the emotions are invested heavily in the wrong direction, God says, listen, through my strength, when I tell you to do something, do it. And you will find that if you act on my word, miracles can take place. That's why the three Hebrews standing before Nebuchadnezzar, when Nebuchadnezzar said, didn't I say that everybody's supposed to bow down at the sound of the music. Didn't I say that? And you guys didn't bow down to it. He says, listen, if y'all don't change your position, I'm throwing you in the furnace of the fire. And they answered, we are not careful in answering this in this manner. Our God is able to deliver us. But even if he chooses not to, we're letting you know right now, we will not bow down to your image and we will not serve him. What were they doing? They were acting quickly. They did not parlay with the thought. They had to act quickly. Family, some of the reasons why we fail so viciously 
in our walk with God is because right at the miracle point, we were parlaying with the voice of Satan too much. We forgot the strength that Jesus has enabled us to have. We forgot his words of counsel and we did not act on what he was telling us to do. Family, I'm just encouraging you. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But you got to remember the principles of the gospel. When you hear the voice of God, do not rely on the feeling. Exercise faith and act on the word of God and watch the miracle take place. That is the promise. What does it say in Matthew 26 and verse 39? Our next reader. Matthew 26 and verse 39. What does it say next? In Matthew 26 and verse 39, let us notice what the Bible says. Which one of my friends has that one? Matthew 26, 39. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. This is the attitude of the child of God. So please understand, we're constantly studying God's part and our part. Notice that God keeps doing the miracle. God keeps supplying the power. What we do is we yield. We're yielding. We hear the voice of God. He's telling us what to do. In his strength, we yield and we cooperate with him and we get done what needs to get done. This is constantly how the Christian journey begins. And it's constantly how the Christian journey is maintained. And this is also how the Christian journey ends. It's going to be a cooperation between divinity and humanity. God's part, our part. Now, the reality is sometimes we're going to go through some vicious temptation. Isn't that right? Even Jesus went through vicious temptation. His temptations were harder than ours. Jesus went through nasty temptation, and we will go through temptation as well. But when temptation comes to us, beloved, what is it that God wants us to do? God's part in temptation, he will make a way of escape when you're tempted. That's a promise. Go to 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. Look at what the Bible says. If our readers have it, 1 Corinthians 10, and we're considering verse 13. In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13, what will God do when we are tempted? 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as in common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted. Above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Amen. You know... There's a little book that I would encourage everybody to have. You know, we, this, these books are usually recommended to people who have gone through mental health challenges. But I'd like to recommend whether you went through mental health challenges or not, um, this is a good book to have in your library. The author, of the, the author of the book, I cannot remember by memory, but I guarantee you if you Google it, you will see it come up. It's called Telling Yourself the Truth. The book is called Telling Yourself the Truth. Add it to your library, because if there's one thing that Satan loves to convince us to do is to lie to ourselves. Let me tell you a lie that he convinces us to tell ourselves. I can't take it anymore. You ever said that before? You ever been through such an emotional extremity that you say, I can't take it anymore? That's a language of hopelessness, isn't it? That's a language like, Lord, I'm going down. But the Bible just said God 
never allows us to be tempted above that which we are able. So no matter how hard that temptation feels, and no matter how much we feel like, Lord, I can't take it, that's it, I can't take it anymore, God is like, hold on, stop, tell yourself the truth. Yes, you can take it. God wants you to remind you, tell yourself the truth. You can take this. Why? Because God says, I made a way of escape. God says, you are my child. I oversee you. And any loving parent in the room understands this. How, parents, how well do you watch over your children? Aren't we careful? Don't we look over them? Aren't we trying to do everything that we can to make sure that they never put themselves in a situation where they will be overwhelmed by the realities of life? Do you really think that God is going to love us any less as his children? God cares and God is overseeing. So when a temptation comes to us, you know what God does before the temptation comes? He weighs it and he measures it. Do you really think God would let Satan come full freestyle on you and me? What do you think Satan wants to do? Steal, kill, destroy. That's it. Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy us because he knows that once we're dead, there's no repentance in the grave. That's where he wants to get us. So do you really think that God allows Satan to just come full force at any single one of us when a temptation comes? Of course not. Before God allows the devil to come to you and I with his temptations, like Job, he weighs it. He measures it. And then he looks and says, yep, Job can handle this. Go ahead. Do you know that that's what he does with me? Satan is coming. Satan got like the death blow, right? And when he's getting ready to throw that death blow, God says, hold up. It's like Satan's ready to throw that punch. And as soon as the punch is coming towards me, God goes, hold on. God says, let's weigh this. Let's measure this. Now, that's too much for Dwayne. We're going to have to chop that back a little bit. Okay, now let's weigh it. Now let's measure it. Yeah, I've given Dwayne enough to battle this. Okay, proceed. This is what 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is teaching us. God does not allow us. Stop another lie we tell ourselves. Nobody goes through this like I do. The verse just said there is no temptation that comes upon a man except that which is common. So that, that lie we tell ourselves, this, this temptation is, is too hard. Lie number one. This temptation is, nobody goes through this like I go through it. That's a lie. It, somebody else went through it and worse. I'm not here to minimize the temptation, beloved. That's not what I'm doing. What I'm doing is I'm trying to, de I'm trying to expose the lies that accompanies the temptations that causes us to feel it's so overwhelming. I just had to do it. That's lie number three. I have to do it. No, you don't have to do it. Why? Because that would make God a liar. Because what did God say? He says, I will make a way of escape. Now, understanding God's part, when the temptation comes to us, he stops it. He weighs it. He measures it. He allows it to come. But he also provides a way of escape. I wonder what our part is. Take God's way of escape and submit to him. That's our part. He provides the way of escape. Take God's way of escape. Take it. Don't not take it. Take it. Let's go ahead and let's see. Psalm 17, verses 4 and 5. Our next reader. Go ahead, sis. Concerning the works of men, by the word of thy lips, I have kept me from the paths of the destroyer. Hold up my goings in thy paths, that my footsteps slip not. Amen. Thou hast kept me from the path of the destroyer. Do you see that? So he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But what does God do? He keeps us from the path of that destroyer. He presents a way 
of escape. How about Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6? What does it say? Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not into, unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your, thy paths. You see, God says, the more you include me in your life, is the more I will be in your life. And if you, in all of your ways, are always acknowledging me, God says, what am I going to do? I'm going to direct your path. I'm always going to show you the way of escape, and then you'll be able to get it. True story, canvasser. Young lady, she's canvassing, going to door to door to sell the books. I love this story. It's beautiful. She's going door to door to sell the books, and she got to a home where some young men look like college level. And he, she goes to sell the books to these people, and uh, the guy was like, oh, man, these books sound really interesting. Can you come back tomorrow around the same time? The young lady says, sure, great. You know she's fired up. Canvassers love to hear stuff like that. It's like, they want us to come back, you know, whatever. So sure enough, She's right there, right on time. Ding dong. The guys open the door. Hey, so glad you made it back. Come on in. Mistake number one. In canvassing, we always teach, don't go in that house, especially by yourself. You never go in a house. Well, this young lady was so overzealous that she ignored that counsel. Well, she went inside the house not realizing that there were some guys waiting around the other room, ready to attack and rape her. She comes inside the house excited to sell the books, and then they come out and they grab her. They bring her to a room, and they throw her on the bed. She only has enough time to say, Lord, help me. She cries out, Lord, help me. All of a sudden, miraculously, the guys move back. She hears a voice, go out the door, turn left. She goes out the door, looks left, and there's an open door. Boom, she bolts out of that open door. And she made it free. There was a way of escape. There was a way of escape. God saw everything. And God said, hey, Satan, remember Genesis 50 and verse 20? What the devil plans for evil, God will take it and turn it for good. That young lady left that house more on fire for God because she saw the way of escape. She heard the voice of the one who provided that way of escape, and she listened to the voice and followed it. Brothers and sisters, I'm just letting you know, every temptation God has promised, there's a way of escape. That's why there's no excuse for sin. For there to be an excuse for sin would mean that God is a liar. Would we dare say such a thing? And that's why we go back to acknowledge your guilt. If you mess up, acknowledge. Because guess what? Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. You don't need to make excuses for the sin. Acknowledge it. Say, Lord, I acknowledge I messed up. It was my choice. I did what I did. Please have mercy upon me. You don't think God's going to forgive you? But when we get to the point to believe that sin is so powerful that now we make excuses for it? We damage the gospel more than you'll ever know. God makes it clear. Every temptation is going to be a way of escape. He provides it. That's his part. So what is our part? Take it. Take the way of escape every time and submit. Once you hear the voice, submit. Can you imagine if she was laying on that bed when those brothers were thrown back? And can you imagine if she laid on the bed? 
go out the door, turn left, and she was like, ah, I'm not sure. There might be another guy waiting for me. Can you imagine if she would have parlayed? But she heard the voice of God and she followed it. Beloved, that is a lesson for every single believer. Hear the voice of God. Know God's voice and follow it. Finally, finally. It's our last pit, last part of our study. We have reviewed God's part and our part. This is something my hope and my prayer is we'll spend a lot of time studying this. Get the book, like I said, filled with beautiful treasures. But family, here's the reality. The reality is God has provided a way of escape from the penalty, from the power, and also one day from even the very presence of sin. God has provided this in the plan of salvation. It's available to every soul who will take it. We must understand God's part. We must understand our part. But is it possible that we can know exactly how the plan of salvation works and still choose to sin? Is it possible? Think so? Can we still choose to rebel? Can we still choose to go our own path? We can. And the question is, what happens when we do that? What happens when we violate our own conscience? We know, we know, we know, we know, but we do what we do anyhow. Do you know what God's part is when we do that? If we fail, God's part, if you fall, remember, he will not leave you. But be your advocate to bring you back in his arms. Sometimes, this, is, this part right here for me is especially uh, intimate as it relates to, this is very important to me when I think of gospel workers, when I think of pastors. When I went to that called pastors meeting some weeks ago, and I went to this big conference, I think there was about 6,000 uh, of uh, pastors there, I remember thinking to myself, I said, you know, people don't understand what a lot of ministers go through. They're clueless. If you're not a minister, you don't understand. And it's easy to think stuff, it's easy to criticize, it's easy to get with folks and talk behind the minister's back, it's easy to do all that stuff. And it's very few people, I remember one time somebody called me and I did my usual, hello, and you know, hi, Brother Lemon, so-and-so, and I was like, hey, how you doing? How can I help you, brother? And he says, I'm not calling you for any help. He says, I'm calling to help you. I said, I, I, don't, I don't understand. He said, the work that God has given you to do, I already know that Satan is after you on a regular basis. Brother Lemon, I just called to pray for you. What would you like for me to pray for? And I remember being in shock because 99.9% .9 of my calls is how I can serve somebody else. And I don't mind. I signed up for that. That's why I don't like it. Please don't say this to me, okay? Hey, don't say this to me, please. If you're ever in need and I come visit you or anything like that, please do not say, so sorry for bothering you, Pastor. You're not a bother to me. <laughs> the day that I look at you as a bother is the day that I probably need to reconsider the, work of line, the line of work that I'm doing. We are called to serve. Amen. That's what we're called to do. 
you are not a bother. And I want to make that very clear. But I have to tell you, I appreciated that young man because that was rare. I have to admit, that is the rarity of my phone calls. And he just said, where do you need some prayer? And so I put this up here for everybody. But I especially want the evangelists in the room. I want the pastors in the room. I want the elders in the room. I want the pastors, the elders, the evangelists, the preachers, the teachers, the medical missionaries, all of the homeschooling parents, all leaders. I want you to remember that even if you fall and if you mess up and you violate your own conscience and choose to commit sin. That's really bad. But God has not left you. God will not leave you. Yes, to whom much is given, much is required. But when you fall, please do not entertain, once again, the lie. Tell yourself the truth that God has enough mercy in his storehouse to forgive even ministers and preachers and teachers and leaders if we fall into sin. God says, I will forgive you. First John 2, 1 and 2. What does it say? First John 2, 1 and 2. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the probation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Amen. Now notice what that said very clearly. My little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. That's the will of God. But the verse continues by saying, and if, notice it did not say when. It says, and if any man. Now, I like that. It said, if any man. That includes leaders. That's why I like letting leaders know, hey, you're included in that. Because lead, some leaders are so genuine in their work with the gospel that if they do fall, they really beat themselves up bad. And they put themselves through self-mutilation in a way that even Jesus says, look, I'm not in that right now. That's the reason why I put it there. I'm not here to, I'm not here to put down the impact of sin. It is a terrible thing, especially when a leader falls, because to whom much is given, much is required. So I'm not here to make it a small thing when a leader falls. It's a very serious issue, and it should be taken seriously, period. But I'm thankful that grace is available even for leaders when they fall. And so it says, my little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. But if any man sins, he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So Jesus advocates on behalf of even leader figures that fall as well as everybody else. That's God's part. So what is our part? If you fall, do not stay in discouragement, but rise and keep pressing back into the arms of God. That's your part. Okay? God puts the promise in place. God makes it clear. Hey, there's still grace available, but you and I must take it. So let's look at the last two, Proverbs 24 and verse 16, and then Philippians 3 and verse 14. Go ahead. For a just man, oh, sorry. For a just man falls seven times, and he rises up again. 
but a wicked man shall fall, um, shall fall into mischief. Amen. Proverbs 24, 16. Now, our last verse, Philippians 3 and verse 14. Uh, Philippians three fourteen, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. Amen. This is what God calls each of us to do. If you fall, get back up. Get back up. Do not stay down in the discouragement. Boy yourself up. Cling to the promises of God. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. God is able to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All of the promises. Boy yourself back up to get back up. And when you get back up, keep pressing toward that mark for that prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. This, my brothers and sisters, is the conclusion of our series on the plan of salvation. It is not that there's more that cannot be taught. There's, surely there's more. There's always more. The Bible's inexhaustible on this point. The whole Bible is based on the plan of redemption. So certainly we can continue. But this is the conclusion for our six-part series on the plan of salvation, how it works, why it is, what does God want to do? And most importantly, understanding God's part and understanding our part. And my question is this. There might be some people in the room that have never experienced the plan of salvation. They never understood God's part and they didn't understand their part. And as a result of that, we've kind of been going through a limbo of religiosity not really understanding, ultimately, God, what are you trying to accomplish with me? And sure, it's easy to worry about what other people think, but I'd encourage you not to do that because I've resolved in my mind there is neither a heaven or a hell that anybody in this room can put me in. And so while I love you and I respect you, my focus and my walk with God is not about you. It's about me and him. And I'd like to recommend that you have the same focus because I'm appealing. If there is someone in this room that says, I have never received salvation, and I've never operated in the principles of salvation as we have been studying. And I want a real salvational experience with Jesus. I want him to accomplish his part. And I want to make sure that I am cooperating with him in doing my part. And if we are in this room today and says, you know what? I have to admit, I've been maybe living a double life. Maybe I haven't really allowed God to have his way in me because I've been just kind of doing my own thing and enjoying his grace that just keeps covering my sins, even though I've never truly forsaken them. This is real. This is in the church. And it doesn't matter if you're baptized. Some of us have gotten baptized and all we did was get wet. But there was no change. So I'm talking to you. I'm wondering if there's someone in this room. You're praying right now. I want to know if there's someone in this room that says I've never truly given Christ the opportunity to take my heart. I've never truly surrendered my life to him. I've never really understood the plan of salvation. and Therefore, I've never really received it. But today I'm willing to do it. I just don't want to pass you by. I don't want this to close out. I don't want to dare put you on those streets. And next thing you know, something could happen to you that you might never have a chance to respond to this call again. And so today, if you hear God's voice, I'd like to encourage you, don't harden your heart. Is there one person in this room that says, you know what, I've never truly appreciated, I've never truly understood, I've never truly received the gift of salvation as God offers it from his word, but I'm willing to do it today. If there's one person, I want to invite you to stand to your feet. If there's even one, I want to pray for you because this is very serious. This is your decision. This is your walk with God. Praise God, my sister. Amen. Praise God, my sister. Amen. Is there another who says, I have never truly received it in my heart according to God's word, 
but I'm willing to do it today. Would there be another who says that is me? I just want to go ahead and take a quick little moment to pray for you because it's very serious, beloved. And time is almost finished and Jesus is coming soon. And he wants us to really be a people prepared to meet our God. So is there one more that says that's me? Amen, my brother. God bless you as well, my friend. Is there another that says, yep, that's me, please, Brother Lemon, remember me in prayer. I just want to make sure I don't pass you by. I want to make sure that I do not pass you by. His grace has been taken advantage of by many a people, but today it can all stop. Today it could be a new life. If we've been living and making excuses for all of our sins that we're still holding on to, today's a day of salvation. We can turn those things over to God and enter into a brand new experience. Would there be one more? I don't want to belabor this appeal much longer, but I just want to go ahead and make sure. Don't worry, beloved, about who's looking at you. Don't worry about who sees you. It's your decision. It's your walk with God. Would there be one more who says, yep, that's me. I want to give you this chance and this opportunity. Amen. I want to invite the rest of us to stand as we close out our time. And I want to thank God for our study today. May we consider these things, get the book, and let us continue to be blessed. And I look forward to beginning a new study and a new phase in our walk with the Lord and our understanding of his words next Sabbath. Let us pray. Our loving Father, Lord, we rejoice. I thank you for these precious souls that stood up and have acknowledged not receiving this gift of salvation as you have outlined it in your words. I pray, dear God, that as of today, this begins a new day, a new walk with you. And I pray that they might come in contact with the Christ in such a way that their lives will never be the same. Bless them, I pray. Hover over them with the presence of your Holy Spirit and your holy angels and keep them, Lord God, from falling back into the old paths. Lord, I pray for all the others who have taken their stand as well. Lord, if there's others who should have stood and did not, continue to convict their hearts. Continue, Lord, to impress upon them their need for them to draw divinely close to you. But Lord, help us that as a people, we will see that all heaven was poured out in the gift of thy son. Help us to receive Christ in our hearts, I pray, and may we never be the same, is our prayer we ask in Jesus' name. Let everyone say this media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.